0: Open with me in your copy of the Word of God to the book of Hebrews. The book of Hebrews will be in chapter 6 this morning. I'll read in a moment from verses 13 through 20. If you don't have a Bible with you, you're welcome to borrow a Bible or take the Bible that we've got there home with you, but you can use it for now at least, in page 1004 in the the Pew Bible uh, provided. Well, this Christmas... Are you closer to Christ than you were last Christmas? Are you closer to heaven? You might think, well, I'm a year older. And some of you feel awfully closer to heaven than others. Some of you feel like life may never end. You're young enough. No, I mean, are you closer in your heart? Are God's promises to you More true to your heart? Do you believe them more fully? Not with the faith that you would want that never wavers, but do you believe them more this year? Well, that's an important question. It's an important question for us to ask with each day that passes. It's the kind of question that the book of Hebrews is putting before us. Are we growing? Are we maturing? To use the water imagery, are we drifting or are we anchored ever more firmly to Jesus? Well, we need encouragement in this matter this morning, of anchoring ourselves to Him, of growing up in Him, of growing to believe His promises more firmly. So let's lay hold of some of the encouragement that God has for us. Hear God's word, Hebrews chapter 6, starting in verse 13. For when God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater by whom to swear, he swore by himself, saying, surely I will bless you and multiply you. And thus Abraham, having patiently waited, obtained the promise. For people swear by something greater than themselves, And in all their disputes, an oath is final for confirmation. So when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath. So that by two unchangeable things, in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge There's a leadership axiom that goes something like this. Encourage what you want to see more of. I'm not sure how I originally heard that. I punched it into Google a few ways and just kept getting lists of pithy encouragement phrases that were of no encouragement to me on my journey to find this quote. Someone said it a little bit better, but you get the idea. Encourage what you want to see more of. Uh, In other words, you you can discourage the things you don't want to see, and that's really easy to do. Uh, We're sort of, we come with a default setting which lends itself to discouragement and correction. Uh, And I can admit, I imagine some of you can. Uh, that, that when something is missed or something is wrong, well, that stands out and that needs some attention. Uh, some of your emails to me after sermons sometimes reflect this spirit. Thank you for all of your emails. I get, I get great emails. Encourage what you want to see more of. We should encourage one another and we need encouragement because holding fast to Christ is not easy, but it is hard to do. It is hard to hold fast to Christ when you're in middle school and high school with the pressures and the messages from social media to Messaging in the schools, so much great work happens in our schools for our young people. But it is not a godly Christian institution. Holding fast to Christ is hard in college, on many university campuses. Holding fast to Christ is hard, let's get it over with, in every stage of life. And in each stage in different ways. In some stages, have you feeling it, and so you lay hold of Christ because of the pressure to let go. Your grip tightens. That's part of God's plan. On some seasons, you wonder, well, holding fast isn't hard, but when you think about it, you're not really holding on to Him very tightly. And then a trial comes, and you find out where you were at. And so holding fast is hard because you've been lulled to sleep. Every season has its challenges, and even that is a challenge. Holding fast to Christ is hard to do. Well, we might think that our author of this book of Hebrews didn't get the leadership memo. He didn't read the right chapter in the right modern leadership book about encouragement because this book is filled with warnings. We just got out of We've got five warnings in the book, and we can't even really bite them off in one sermon. So we're doing, you know, one or two, or maybe before the series is over, one of these warnings gets three sermons. We'll see. But there's a lot there to unpack. He's good at warning. Well, it's no good boss who's just constantly warning. All there are are warnings and pink slips or whatever color they are. No, this is not a matter of our author's poor pastoring. It's a matter of, well, our poor hearing. We should hear the strong warnings. The book is punctuated with strong warnings. But even to say that is to suggest it is not all warnings. The book is, at the same time, saturated with encouragement. In fact, all of the exposition of the Old Testament scriptures is encouragement to hold fast, complemented by warnings as to the consequences of letting go, of drifting, of hardening your heart against the Lord Jesus Christ, the message of God's word. Now, this is a book saturated with encouragement. In fact, the encouragement that we find here, we have an ear for this morning precisely because we have been sternly warned about letting go of Jesus and hardening our heart and drifting. The warnings are there not as an end in themselves, but to arrest our attention so that we may be encouraged to hold fast when our author preaches for us the scriptures from the Old Testament, which is what he does in this morning's passage. And so, my purpose for you this morning is that you would be encouraged by the book of Hebrews to hold fast to your hope, to fill you up with strong encouragement that you might endure to the end the end of high school and the end of college and and the end of life all the way until the end well what kind of encouragement do we need exactly well verse 18 would suggest we need strong encouragement but but this whole passage is going to fill out for us the kind of encouragement that we need and this passage this morning well at the same time I pray Actually, on the spot, encourage you that you will leave with a fuller heart, happier to follow Jesus, with a tighter grip on Him. And if that's the case when you walk out, then this passage will have done its work in you. But I also pray that our church would be a church of encouragers, smart encouragers, strong encouragers, that we would know how to speak with one another when things are going well, and when things are hard. What kind of encouragement do we we need? Well, last week we got some encouragement. You'll remember. We had a warning concerning falling away. And even two or three weeks ago, our author shamed us to some extent, called us babies. Uh, You're still showing up with giant bottles and drinking milk. Now there's a distinction between individuals in the church that are showing up as babies who need to be carried around and and need to be fed and have their diapers changed and keep making a mess. And you are welcome here, but the message to you is to grow up. To grow up. And we all look at ourselves and wonder, am I a baby? And we don't want to be babies. And so the author, hearing how that might land on us, said, but I'm, I'm sure of much better things for you. And surely he meant to highlight the love and the labor of love of, of even those in spiritual infancy to encourage them with what he's seen in them, but in the congregation at large, things are largely healthy, even though there is a time for a striking rebuke. But even that encouragement in the love of the saints, which gave the author reason for assurance that they were safe and belonged to the things of salvation. Even that encouragement put our attention on us, like the warnings did. Am I drifting? Well, we look at ourselves. We also have to look at where Christ is to see if we're drifting. But we're looking at ourselves, the drifter. Am I a baby? Am I lazy, spiritually sluggish was the language that he used? What are my reasons for encouragement as I look at my love for the saints? And... But here, here, we get a different kind of encouragement. It's the strong kind of encouragement. The kind of encouragement that can fill you up with full assurance to hold fast until the end. And it is not an encouragement that is based upon you, but it is an encouragement that is based on something outside of you, that sets your attention outside of you, that lifts your gaze off yourself. It's okay to examine yourself. The book would have us to do this. But this passage, this thick passage, this energetic and important passage is here to lift our gaze away from ourselves and on to the God who keeps promises that we might believe that he will. Encouragement is essential to endurance. We need it. And the very best and strongest kind of encouragement that we need is encouragement that points outside of ourselves. In each of the three divisions of this morning's passage, we'll do just that, each in its own unique way. The author knows what medicine his hearers need. All of us need this this morning. And by listening to him, we'll find encouragement. And by observing the way that he encourages the church, we will learn how to be especially strong encouragers for one another on the way. Three strategies for encouragement how to find it, how to give it. First, we find an example from the pages of Scripture. Abraham believed God's promise when his circumstances strongly suggested that he should have given up. And that is an understatement. Abraham believed God's promise When his circumstances strongly suggested that he should have given up. Any wise counselor looking in on his life would have taken notes and turned him in to a more competent counselor. Would have turned him in to someone else. Would think he's crazy. But he wasn't crazy. No, he was not. When Abraham, for when God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater by whom to swear, he swore by himself, saying, Surely I will bless you and multiply you. And thus Abraham, having patiently waited, obtained the promise. Sometimes following Jesus seems like not so great an idea. Sometimes it seems like a downright terrible idea, unless. God will do precisely what he said he will. And we can learn from the example of Abe. So let's get our gaze off ourselves and put it on the page of Scripture. Let's examine who this Abraham character is. Abraham was a man not so much unlike any of us, he was not looking for God when God came for him. He was one more human being, image bearer, having exchanged the glory of God for created things, worshiping gods of his own imagination. And after God hit reset button on the earth with the flood, it was only a matter of time until violence filled the world and we were right back to our old sinful games. Starting over with the godliest one on the planet, Noah, wasn't enough to fix the problem of human sin and guilt. And so God, at that time, in chapter 12 of the book of Genesis, and you can turn there with me. It's toward the beginning of the Bible, the very first book, 12 chapters in. God comes to Abraham with a promise. And perhaps the whole point of the flood was, yes, to show us that God is just and doesn't tolerate sin, but it was also to show us that there is no other way for mankind to be saved apart from God coming with a unilateral promise, His initiative, His plan, and something better than picking the very best human alive and starting from scratch. God comes to Abraham in chapter 12 of Genesis. Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land I will show you, and I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. I mean, here is a, pr- here is a promise whose scope will fill the whole earth. Abraham is to have children that fill the earth. He would be the source of blessing for the families of the earth. And he may not have known all that, that meant at the moment. But the worth was under a curse of God. There's no blessing outside the garden unless God does something to bring that about. And it would be undeserved. And he gives this promise to Abraham. Land, descendants, and Blessing. Now Abraham was good and old when he received this promise, verse four. So Abraham went as the Lord told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was his name was Abram at the time, seventy five years old when he departed from Haran. Now he wasn't necessarily seventy five when he got the promise. A few verses before chapter 12, we get the, 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 the who's who of, of where people ended up in the earth, including Abraham. Verse 31, Terah took Abram, his son, and Lot, the son of Haran, and his grandson, and Sarai, his daughter-in-law, his son Abram's wife, and they went forth together from Ur of the Chaldeans and to go into the land of Canaan, But when they came to Haran, they settled there. So so they leave Ur, which is after he gets the promise, and they settle in Haran until Terah dies in that place, and then they set out. Presumably Abraham was good and old when he receives the promise. He has no kids when he gets the promise. Uh, He's settled in Haran. His father has died, and now they... They take off. He's 75 years old. Uh, He and his wife don't have any kids. So Abraham's circumstances did not line up with God's promise. All kinds of things may have gone through their head. Uh, Maybe he got the wrong Abram. We don't have any kids and we're very, very old. But of course, this is part of what God is doing. He's drawn attention and 11 verse 30, now Sarai was barren. She had no child. That's emphasized here. God is going to work out his plan in such a way as to show that it is him that is bringing about salvation. He promises that a son of Abraham would be the son of Eve promised at the beginning of the Bible that would crush the head of the serpent. That's what's going on here. And he's going to bring this about through a barren woman, a couple that's very, very old that doesn't have any kids. Of course God would do it that way. He's he's doing this in circumstances that strongly suggest that he can't and won't do as promised. This isn't him getting himself into a pickle and finding his way out. He makes pickles. He works with pickles. On chapter 13, Abram's older, verse 14, lift up your eyes and look from the place where you are, northward and southward, eastward and westward, every direction, all the land that you see I'll give to you and your offspring forever. Lord, I don't have kids yet. I will make your offspring as the dust of the earth, okay? So that if one can count the dust of the earth, your offspring also can be counted. In chapter 15, comes right after an encounter with this man, Melchizedek, which we'll learn a little bit about next week. Abram has fended off some kings, he may be tired, discouraged, and after these things the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision, so he's sleeping to comfort him. "'Fear not, Abram, I'm your shield, and your reward shall be very great.' And Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless. And the heir of my house is Eleazar of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring. I will repeat myself, and a member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And then he brought him outside and said, Look toward heaven and number the stars. If you are able to number them, then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord. And here it is. And it was counted to him as righteousness. And he falls into a deep sleep. And the Lord uh, initiates a covenant ceremony with him. He's instructed Abram to cut the animals into pieces, puts Abram to sleep and envision in the dream. The Lord walks through the pieces and back. Typically, both parties would do that as a way of saying, if I don't keep my promise, you can go ahead and cut me up like these animals. Now, Abram is sleeping, and the Lord walks through both ways to indicate that he will actually keep both sides of the promise. This is going to happen. Abraham has believed the Lord and the Lord has counted to him his righteousness. And that's the same way that we come into God's promises. That we come to know and experience all that God has promised. That we will find ourselves on the receiving end of the forgiveness of sins and victory over death and darkness with Jesus by believing the promises of God by faith. It's the message of the book of Genesis. It's the message of the book of Hebrews. It's the message of the last book of the Bible. Believe in the promises of God by faith and you will be saved. They are counted to Abram as righteousness. And so our faith is to us. It is no work. It is simply laying hold of the certain work of God for sinners. But God wasn't done yet with Abram. There wasn't a child yet. And so we keep flipping as the years went by. In chapter 21, the Lord visited Sarah as he had said, and the Lord said to Sarah as he had promised, and Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age at a time which God had spoken to him. Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him whom Sarah bore him, Isaac. Verse 5, and Abraham was, let's go ahead and count, a hundred years old when Isaac was born. And Sarah said, God has made laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh over me, highlighting the absurdity of what God had done. Abraham was just a man, and he was a man who received a promise, and he was a man who waited patiently. And then, chapter 22. If his circumstances to this point had not quite lined up with what God had promised, but he had believed still, well, let's see what happens next. After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, Here I am, and he said, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah, and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning, he saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him, and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering and rose and went to the place which God had told him. And on the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. Now, what is going through his mind? He fully intends to keep God's word. Does he believe that God will keep his promise through this son, through whom descendants would come. Here's what's apparently going through his mind. Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey, I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. He believed God would work it out, however God saw fit. And the author of Hebrews, we'll get there in chapter 11, says that he considered that God was able to raise his son from the dead. So he knows that God will fulfill his promise through this son for many descendants and nations to come. And God has told him to kill the son. So his only conclusion, because God must keep his word, would be, that he will kill his son, and then God will raise his son from the dead. That's a man of faith. Now, Abraham, in all those pages we flipped there, wasn't a man who always believed God perfectly. He had another son by another woman, trying to cook one up on his own with his own wisdom, both he and Sarah, coming up with other ways. And there were other lies that he told, and instances of failed faith. But what we see in the story of Abraham is... God gently, persistently shepherding and leading Abraham in the faith that he has to grow in his faith to arrive at this test successful. And so we read in verse 15, And the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, This is after he has provided a ram instead of his son. So Abraham has lifted up the knife, And just as he's about to slaughter his son, the Lord, through an angel, calls him to stop and provides a ram as a substitute for his son. And he commends him for his faith. And the angel of the Lord called to Abram now a second time and said, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this, and if not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and I will multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand of the seashore and your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies and in your offspring all the nations of the earth will be blessed. So Abraham, just a person like you and me, received a great promise and waited with great patience and faith and God commended him for that. And so he obtained the promise. Well, are there circumstances in your life right now that would seem to suggest that God's promises are not true for you? Now, some of answering that question well will mean knowing what he's promised and what he hasn't. So, so a thought came to your head that you'll be delivered from this sickness or, or that trouble or that you'll have that job. Those are not guaranteed to us. We should pray that way to the God who can do anything by faith. No, I mean God's promise that through Jesus, just as he came once in order to go to the cross to pay for our sins, so he will come back to make all things right. Not that he will make things right in the here and now, but that all of our diseases and all of our troubles will be healed, our fears will be removed, that at the coming of Jesus or at death when we meet our Father, we will find that, yes, his promises were true and we are safe. And so even now, sting, death does not have a sting. Are you unsettled? Are you blown about? We have a sure and steadfast anchor for the soul, the author will tell us. Are you feeling steadfastly held? Well, maybe underneath that tumult in your soul... And trouble in your soul as you experience trouble in your life is a suspicion that God won't keep his promise as he has said. And it's not an indication that you don't have faith, but it's a reason right now to listen to this encouragement, to look at the example of Abraham whose circumstances didn't line up, who was old and older and older along with his wife, With no kid and still with no kid. But God spoke a word. And there on the page it came true. Now he didn't obtain all that God had in mind through his son. He died before there was multiplication and blessing for the nations. Where is some of that fulfillment right now? But he, he obtained it in part. He had a son. And God swore an oath to him that what he promised would come true. Take encouragement from this example of Abraham. In your difficulty, in your unsettled season, you have a traveling partner in Abraham who understood perfectly what it is to have his circumstances not quite feel right. And yet in watching Abraham across all these years, we can conclude that those years, and indeed waiting patiently is a part of God's plan. So wait patiently with the encouragement of Abraham. Now a second encouragement. One leads to another. We have the encouragement of an example that leads now to encouragement in a fancy guarantee, I'll call it. God has given us a fancy guarantee in order to overwhelmingly convince us that our hope is not misplaced. He's given us a fancy guarantee in order to overwhelmingly convince us that our hope is not misplaced. And we move now from verses 16 to 18. Now, companies will typically, depending on the product, uh, put a guarantee on, on the box. And why would a company put a guarantee on a box? Well, perhaps it's to make us feel warm and toasty, and that will lead us to make the purchase. That's perfectly fair. It's to comfort us, to call out to us in the form of a guarantee, I'll never let you down, and if I do, I'll make everything right. It occurs to me that satisfaction guaranteed should annoy us a little bit. Or at least we should just acknowledge what's happening here. Satisfaction guaranteed. And if you're not satisfied, then you can return it. I thought that satisfaction was guaranteed. No, it's guaranteed that you can return it if you're you're not satisfied. That means there must be something wrong with you, not the product but we'll handle it anyways. You get it. Guarantees are what they are in a fallen world. We aren't so sure we can trust this person or that party. And in our age, we we sign a signature. Uh, We do things like that in order to confirm our word. A president puts his hand on the Bible in swearing an oath. Well, in the ancient Near East, there were things like oaths. And these oaths came with... Two purposes. The oath that somebody would swear in the ancient Near East, in the Bible times, uh, would be in order to compensate for uh, the suspicion that you're not telling the truth. So you swear on a name higher than yours, on one whose status is higher than yours, and you put yourself at risk doing this. And it has a way of communicating confidence. Whereas at times, maybe you haven't told the truth, but in swearing the oath, and one whose status is higher than yours, well, you're telling the truth now. And not only in strengthening your your word, uh, this oath would would strengthen your word. It also puts an end to discussion. It puts an end to the question of your truthfulness. Now the decision in the matter is final with an oath. Well, there's two problems of with this and with God engaging in an oath like this. In the first place, he can't lie, text tells us. Impossible for God to lie. It's impossible. So why would God need to engage our mechanism for for strengthening our intentions and, and helping someone else know that we're not actually lying? He doesn't need this. If anyone's yes is yes, God's yes is yes, right? So that's the first problem. The second problem should be that in swearing an oath, the, uh, there's really no one higher that he can swear by. So how does that even going to work? So it's a fancy guarantee. It's unnecessary. But it's unnecessary because his word is perfectly sure. Do you hear it now? For people swear by something greater than themselves. All, in all their disputes, an oath is final for confirmation. So when God desired... This is what he desired to do, to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise, the unchangeable character of his pur- purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath. So that by two unchangeable things in which it's impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. He's done this not for him And to strengthen his word. He's done it for us. How generous and gentle is God to work with us like this? He's come to Abraham and again and again. Abraham's unsure and God takes him outside and shows him the stars. And preaches to him his faithfulness. And so God has given to us this double promise that we might be convinced. I'm saying we. And I should do that. Why can I do that? Well, look at this. When God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise, the heirs of the promise to Abraham. Who are the heirs? You and I are the heirs. He's talking to and about us. He guaranteed it with an oath, so that by two unchangeable things in which it's impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge, we flee to the same God that Abraham was trusting, might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. The story of Abraham is in the Bible so that you might have hope. The story of Abraham is in the Bible so that you might flee to God with strong encouragement to hold fast to his promise just like Abraham did. He's an example of faith. And just as God kept his promise of a son to Abraham, so he will keep his promises concerning his son To us. These are for us, not for him. So when you think of the book of Hebrews, it's not wrong to think of the harsh warnings, but don't underhear the message of Hebrews. This passage is profoundly encouraging. And our author has gone out of his way to elaborate on the faithfulness of God and to hold out an example for us that we might be strongly encouraged to hold fast. That we might know how patient and how gentle and how generous God is with doubters, with strugglers, with those who falter in their faith. And I'm speaking to a room full. This is our God. And friends, how much more strong encouragement must we have than Abraham did? It's Christmas time and we can thank God that in our culture, December has ended up being a time that gets a lot of attention with roots in Christianity and this story and The Bible doesn't give us an annual calendar by which to remember these things. We remember these things all the time, every week on the Lord's Day. And I've shared with you my mild annoyance, that if we were to sing a song that mentioned Bethlehem and Jesus in a stall, we would wonder, isn't this a Christmas song? They are for all times. Uh, But carols make a lot of sense in December, and we will sing ourselves full of them Next week, for sure. No, we need the incarnation all the time. We need this story of this baby born in Genesis, and we can find very much more encouragement that the story has continued, and we have even more a record of the faithfulness of God with the arrival of Jesus in circumstances that looked impossible. The promise of a son who would take away sin, born of a virgin, so that he skips the inherited sin and guilt of Adam. God performed the miracle again in another birth. And that birth was unto circumstances that did not look like God was being faithful. How must Mary have felt watching her son die on the cross? No one seemed really to understand what Jesus was doing, even though he had explained what was to come for them. Might she and others watching have thought that God would not keep his promise? Oh, but Jesus was raised from the dead. And that would be something we're prepared to believe he can do on the basis of what he did in Genesis chapter 22. Except in the case of Jesus ascending that mountain so many years later, God's one and only beloved son, there would be no substitute for him. And that is because Isaac was not our savior from sin. That was just a little dress rehearsal. In this case, the cross was the real thing. And Jesus went all the way. And all the trepidation that uh, would have been in Abraham's heart and the sense of loss before him, no doubt the heart of our father was aching as the son was crucified and he punished our sins in him. And no doubt as Isaac ascended the mountain and Picked up what his father was putting down. He cried and wept and our savior wept before he ascended that hill of his own. And he went all the way for us. Believing that his father would raise him from the dead and so he did. We have all we need to hold fast. Be encouraged by The example of Abraham. Be encouraged by God's fancy guarantee for us. All of the ways in which he shows himself faithful. We've had an example and a guarantee and now a strong strong image. To play on our imaginations. Sometimes it's just hard to imagine all of this. And so... Verse 19, we have this, all of this, strong encouragement, this hope, this salvation, this guarantee. This is a sure and steadfast anchor for the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. And if Abraham's example and that story addresses our suspicion that maybe God lacks the integrity to keep his promise, oh, we've watched him do so. And if his guarantee addresses the question of his intentions, we see that he desired to show more convincingly. We see our father go out of his way to assure us that his word is good. And this last piece addresses our imagination. If we could all just settle in and imagine an anchor. What is an anchor? An anchor holds a ship. Anchors are different depending on what they're holding. They come in different strengths, what they're made of, their weight and size. They come in different shapes, fitted for the thing they're to grab. They come with different reach. And Jesus is for you and for us, an anchor for our souls. He is strong enough for He is God and man. He is just the right shape. His work of the cross and his resurrection. He has gone just to the place with the reach that we need all the way into the heavens. Where Jesus has gone in a representative way, he takes us. He goes ahead of us. He's a forerunner. We're right behind him. And spiritually, we are joined to him in the heavenlies. This is our Savior, an anchor for our souls. So this season, if your soul is not steadfast, it's okay to look at yourself and to ask if you're drifting or if you're as mature as you should be or want to be. And it's okay to look at your life and to hear the encouragement of friends concerning His work in you. And I encouraged you last week to be about that kind of encouragement. But more than anything, let us find encouragement right here. The full assurance of hope about which the book of Hebrews speaks isn't the author speaking out of two sides of his mouth. uh, Warning us concerning falling away, suggesting that we could, and at the same time saying, be fully assured That you will not. The full assurance of hope is this. It is that you would be fully assured that he will do what he said. That the rope is good that leads to heaven. That it is fixed there and will not let you go. That he will not let you go. And fully believing that he will keep his promises. You are then able to hold fast through anything. It is not that we should have assurance regardless of our sins and circumstances. It is that we can have assurance that He will hold fast to us as we hold fast to Christ regardless of our sins and circumstances. It's a subtle but an important difference. It's a difference that points us outside of ourselves rather than inside of ourselves. So as you want to grow in the assurance that you're His, grow in the assurance that He keeps His promises to you, leading you to lay hold of His promises, so never to let go. Let us not let go of Christ this next year. Let us grow up in Him this next year. Let us not drift, but cling ever more tightly to Jesus who is an anchor for our soul, a sure and a steadfast anchor. Before we go to the Lord's table now, let's pray. Father, we thank you that we can pray to you because of where Jesus is right now. At your right hand, interceding for us as one who is seated because he is done paying for our sins so that we might know full forgiveness. And we pray that you would strengthen our hope, that you would encourage us strongly by this testimony concerning your faithfulness to your word so that we might lay hold of that promise by faith, never to let go. Strengthen us for this in Jesus' name, amen.